Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. The horror of Nice has affected each and every one of us. And uh, we've all had moments that struck us. And I've talked to a number of people about one particular statement I heard made. And you, you pick them out almost viscerally out of, out of the horror that, you, that you're paying attention to and being exposed to. And what really affected me was I heard that ambulance drivers, paramedics, on the scene were looking for the injured and there weren't any. Everyone was gone. Mike Armstrong is in Nice, France. Global News reporter joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mike, thank you very much for taking the time. The investigation continues. Where's the focus now? Well, I know that they've uh, pulled in a few people, acquaintances of Mohammed Boulal, the driver. Um, they arrested two people yesterday. One, uh, as I say, an acquaintance. Uh, the other, his estranged wife. She's been taken into, uh, we're hearing, protective custody for questioning. And there were another three people arrested today. Now, there's no talk of uh, charges at this point. Um, they're only known to be, uh, there's also no idea, we don't know that they're affiliated or linked to what happened here. We just know that they are acquaintances of Bulal's. Start to wonder whether or not, Mike, that uh, gives any credence to ISIS claiming the killer was a member of its army. Well, if you look at the, the wording, they didn't really say he was a member. They, they referred to him as, certainly as a soldier, but they said he's in, he was inspired uh, by what they were calling for. Um, so it's, it's the, you know, they're in response to appeals that they were making. That's the phrasing that was used on an ISIS-affiliated uh, website this morning. They also don't name him uh, specifically. They don't use his name. I'm, I'm not sure if that says anything. But it's certainly uh, the, the government here yesterday, they were talking about how this was um, undeniably um, a terrorist-like event. And today they're saying that it appears Bulal was, and this is a quote, radicalized very quickly. So they're certainly saying that um, motive-wise, it appears ISIS is linked in that way. He had a, a record with police, a, a low-level record with police, but from my, what I understand, he wasn't on the radar of any of the counterterrorism units. No, there's a, a sort of certificate people are placed on here where they're, when they're being watched. And a lot of the attacks in recent years, uh, unfortunately, there were people that sort of slipped through the cracks. They were on these certificates they were on watch lists but they still did the attack this time it's somebody who was not being watched at all and that really is what the government's a little nervous about how do you prevent something uh somebody from going after such a soft target with such a almost in a way a benign weapon if you will it, i mean it's just a, a vehicle I'm, I'm standing at the corner of the promenade right now there are cars everywhere uh, how do you prevent somebody who shows no signs of having been radicalized yeah. to the point by the way that his family says he had basically no religion, that he drank alcohol, didn't pray, didn't fast. Uh, his father in Tunisia today was saying, no, my son had no links to religion at all. Uh, what is security like in Nice following the, the homicidal attack? What's it like today? I would say you don't see extra security here uh, at the moment, and that might seem like a strange thing to say. Um, the only place where you really see a lot of police cars right now uh, is, is where I am. I'm actually standing on a balcony at the corner of Gambetta and the Promenade des Anglais. So right where it happened, I'm looking down at an intersection 
it's surreal to think that right here, this horror took place in front of me, uh, right in front of where I'm standing. The only place that's closed now is sort of the uh, eastbound lane uh, and just the last few hundred meters that that truck would have traveled. That's the only part of the promenade that's still closed today. And, and so just those three lanes, but uh, sort of to the north of that, you've got the other lanes that are traveling normally. And to the, on the water side, you've got people walking, enjoying a, a warm, sunny, sunny day here on the boardwalk. We had people down and swimming in the water. And yet when you speak to people, they actually tell you that they had to sort of force themselves to leave their house. We, I had one woman say yesterday she wanted to lay some flowers, but she was just scared to leave her home. Yeah. What are the, it's kind of surreal. Yeah. Mike, what are the French people saying about their government? Are they critical of their president and their government? This is the third major terrorist attack on French soil in, in a very short period of time. Well, it's certainly not hard to make the argument that the government has let things happen. Uh, something has happened, and whether obviously they're doing their best. But it, it doesn't mean that it isn't easy for opposition parties to make the arguments that this happened on Francois Hollande's watch. And uh, he'll be up for re-election pretty soon, and obviously security will be an issue. Yeah. We're finding out about the victims, the 84 lives stolen, people from many backgrounds and geographical locations, people just out enjoying the festivities of Bastille Day, six members of one family included among the, the dead. It's, uh, it's, it's just an awful, awful reality that we're becoming increasingly familiar with. Yeah, it, it's very strange. It's also strange as a journalist because you come to these places and you see such, like I had a woman talking to me today about um, bodies in wheel wells uh, of the truck. I mean, that's an image that you don't lose. And if you live here and you see that, how do you go near that intersection next week or next month or even next year? And, I, and to cover these things, we come to these cities and we see these awful things, then we go home and, it, and we don't associate them with our daily life. But this now, I mean, this will be part of history of Nice, the history of Nice, and it's not something anyone can forget. I always like to ask reporters, because you try to be at arm's length, you're doing the reporting, you're telling the story, you're sharing the information with viewers on uh, global news, but it's also affecting you as a human being. I always like to know, what's the impact on the reporter personally? Oh, jeez. Um, sadly... I've covered so many awful things like this from, uh, and, and in a way the tsunami in Indonesia was the worst thing that I'll ever see. I, I'm happy to say the worst thing that I'll ever see bodies being piled with bulldozers and backhoes. Um, and yet the emotion uh, talking to people and saying, and saying, can I bother you for just a moment? I, I always try to treat people the way I'd want to be treated. And if there's any hesitation, I'll walk away. And there are lots of people and I'll, I'll bother someone else that's comfortable speaking. And sometimes uh, the one way I can bother people and not feel too badly about it is that sometimes I'm able to, I like to think some people want to talk and maybe sharing their story uh, with me helps them. And maybe knowing that that short story is being shared on, to a wider audience as well. Maybe that helps them as well. Can be cathartic. Mike, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate you talking to us from Nice. Thank you. Thank you. All the best. Mike Armstrong from Global News, Global National, joining us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network from Nice, France. That it's hard for reporters uh, to be on the scene. It's the job. It's, it's what you do. But you're also a human being. 
And for Mike to describe where he is, and the life is almost proceeding normally, where just hours ago, really, that terrible carnage took place. Mike Armstrong also talking about the woman who was going to get some flowers, and yet she found it difficult. She had to force herself to get going. And my question is this. I, I, I want to run this past you because we've all talked about it among ourselves to each other. We've thought about it solo. What is the impact a terror event like Nice has on us individually? Um, do you worry about a terror attack in, in your daily life? I'm really curious about how this is impacting on you. There's Nice. There was Turkey a few weeks ago. There was Paris. There was Brussels, London, New York. You know the stories. You know the locations. You know the horror. We've had terror attacks in this country. Do you worry about a terror attack in your daily life? Has, has such a worry altered your plans for vacations, for going to the theater, going shopping, where you go publicly? I've talked to people just in the last 36 hours who've said to me, they're really thinking about everything they're doing, everything they're going to do, every step they take outside their home. They think about it. A friend of mine uh, told me yesterday that he and his wife have decided they're not going to Florida this coming winter. They go every winter. They're not going this year because they're worried. So do you worry about a terror attack in your daily life? Has such a worry altered your plans? For again, for vacations, for theater, shopping, where you go publicly. And here's the second question I have for you. Do you have confidence that political leaders are doing all that's possible to protect Canada from a terror attack? Do you have confidence, you, do you have confidence that political leaders in this country are doing all that's possible to protect Canada and Canadians from a terror attack? You notice I call them political leaders. I'm not convinced they're actual leaders. I know they're leaders of political parties whom we elect to office. They're going to have to prove to me that they're actual leaders. That's just me. 888-225-8255 is my number. Or 416-870-6400. 888-225-8255. Or 416-870-6400. Let me say it again. Do you worry about a terror attack in your daily life? Has such a worry altered your plans for what you're going to be doing, for going on holidays, vacations, or going to the theater, going to the mall, where you go publicly? Do you have confidence that the political leaders of this country are doing all that they possibly can to protect Canada from a terror attack? 888-225-8255, 416 And I have another question that I'm going to add in a moment. It's a tough one, but I will add it. We'll come right back. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Again, do you worry about a terror attack in your daily life? Has it changed your plans on what you're going to be doing? 
Do you have confidence that the political leaders are doing everything that's possible to safeguard this country? And then the question that is the difficult one that a lot of people will steer away from. But do we start to look at each other in this country differently? Do we start to look at each other with less than 100% confidence? If we do that, you know that they, the terrorists, are winning what they want to win. 888-225-8255-416-870-6400. We'll start with Lewis. In Calgary. Hey, Lewis, thank you for the call, sir. Go ahead, Lewis. Yes, how you doing, sir? Good, sir. How are you doing? Uh, great. I just, um, I'm going to look at it respectively within the fact that the uh, government uh, does not. I'm pretty negative on that. I mean, there is some positives, but the negative is that uh, they're not really doing anything for the safeguard, um, allowing these people to come into our countries. I could probably even speak for the states or even... Well, let me ask you, Lewis, Lewis, let me me ask you this question. What makes you say that? A lot of people say it, but what is it that that makes you say that the government isn't doing what they should do? Well, because you can see it, uh, even in the media, that they're, you know, they're bringing uh, the refugees and it's nothing to do with hate or anything like that. It's got something to do with that's the fact. It worries you. In the pudding, you know, a lot of these things that are happening is because the government are allowing them to come over. Hey, come on over. So what? So they really don't have the background on who they really are. Anybody can say. Are you talking yeah. about? Are you talking about the Syrian refugees now? Well, some some cases. I mean, it's not all about that. I mean, there is. Uh, other, Tell me, uh, Lewis. Lewis, you Lewis, you called me. Tell me the truth. Tell me what you're thinking. That's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking within the fact that around this. Syrian refugees is not only that, but there's they're allowing these people to come into our countries. Um, you know, they can cross the borders. They can, you know, here, here, you know. Uh, here, okay, okay, thanks, uh, Lewis. I just want you to get to the point. It's difficult for people to say what they're thinking, but if we don't say what we're thinking, we'll never get beyond where we are. It's one of the functions of talk radio. Terror, does it frighten you? Has it changed your plans? Do you think the government's taking, uh, taking it seriously enough and, and doing the political leaders are doing what they, what they should do? I, I'm not impressed with our political leaders, but it's easy to simply say they're not doing what they should do. Let's then specify what they should be doing. And if somebody says, well, anyway, let's find out what you're. Let's say what you find out what you're saying. Rob's in Toronto. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Roy. Um, uh, I, I think about a, a terrorist attack is always in the back of my mind. Uh, living in Toronto, uh, the the largest city in Canada, if there is going to be a terrorist attack, it's uh, likely going to be here. I ride the subway every day. Uh, is so, it scary? So, especially, uh, so I especially, I especially uh, uh, th- think about it frequently. And um, and I'm not happy that the uh, Liberal government uh, uh, re- removed the uh, CF-18 fighters because since they've since they've done that, I don't think we're doing everything we can to contribute to the uh, defeat of ISIS. And ISIS is going to look at look at it at a uh, look at Canada Rob, being weakened. And I think the likelihood when, of an attack is when is, you get on when you get on the subway. Is there a is there a visceral sense of of apprehension? Maybe not fear, but 
Is there a sense of apprehension? Do you worry? Are you relieved when you get off? Um, no, I'm not. I'm not that paranoid, but uh, the, the the likelihood is is always there. Uh, as I said, uh, yeah. it, not not to sound alarmist, but to, if if it's if, if it happens, it's most likely going to be happening. In, in, in Toronto, in and Toronto. Uh, when, when London Maybe. was attacked, it was the subway. Okay. You know. Rob, we got to go. 888-225-8255-416-870-6400. You know the questions. We'll come back and hear what you have to say. In answer to those questions, and your perceptions and the reality, does the perception become reality? 888-225-8255-416-870-6400. Very busy phone lines back after this. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. I woke up about um, 1.30 in the morning and just decided I'd turn on the television to just check on News Roundup. I saw the flashing lights of the emergency vehicles. I saw that before the audio came on. And I knew what I was looking at instantly. It was a terror attack. Roy at RoyGreenShow.com is the email address. Frank writes, we talk about gun laws in the States and how bad they are. In about half an hour, I'm going to be talking to a delegate to the Republican convention in Cleveland who is a lawyer and who is taking his gun to the convention and will be carrying it. It's allowed in Ohio, and several delegates at least are concerned about a terror attack, and so they're taking their guns and going to carry them. We'll talk to one of them. Frank continues, we're in a sad state in Canada. We can do nothing to protect ourselves. We rely so much upon government to protect us, but the PC crowd can't protect us from people bent on destroying our way of life. I do not believe in anarchy, but the present government leaders are not leaders at all. They do not trust their citizens to make correct decisions and expect us to act like sheeple. Move along. Nothing to see here. We cannot defend ourselves, and my wife cannot even carry pepper spray to defend herself. If someone breaks into my home and I hurt them in the process, I am liable. The terrorists know how to play into this, and they're using this weakness to their advantage. Frank, to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. All right, my questions are, do you worry about a terror attack in your daily life? Has it altered your plans, like for vacations or just going out to the movies or shopping? Do you have confidence that the political leaders are doing everything they possibly can to protect, to protect Canada and Canadians? Joe is in Scarborough, Ontario. Hey, Joe. Hi, Aiden Roy. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Um, I don't believe they're, you know, it's, it's a cult, it's a sort of a culture of, 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 of Canada. Uh, the political establishment do not want to offend anybody. So I, I I hope I'm wrong, but I believe that they would be they they would they would find it preferable for us to be attacked by a terrorist uh, rather than offend one person. Wow. Offending one person is one too many. That is an indictment. Uh, it, it, you know, listen. It, it starts it starts in little league where everybody wins, right? The the culture of oh, let's not offend anybody begins uh, from birth. It's, it's madness. Well, there I have a question. Absolute in this world. Joe, Joe I, I have a question. Yeah. I keep hearing, you can't offend anyone. You shouldn't offend people. And I wonder, and I sometimes when I'm not on the air, I yell at the radio. You know, I do that a lot. I yell at the radio. And I yell at the radio and I say, who's offended? If, if, 
if you're doing something, if you're doing the right thing as the political leaders of the country, I'm not calling them leaders, I'm calling them political leaders. If you're doing the right thing to protect everyone in the country, how can anyone take offense? Well, this is the, this is the sad thing. They're delusional. For example, there are a lot of people who are Islamic people, they are Muslim people, who would, would, would like to see a lot of uh, activity going after Islamic terrorists. They assume that because all these people are, are Muslim, that they must uh, be offended if gov- the government takes some kind of action. This is false. Uh, black people. So, so what you're saying, hold on, hold on, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. You're saying, I want to understand this, that the government, the political leaders, are not taking decisions to protect everyone because they might be offending someone when nobody would be offended, which is exactly what I said. Joe, thank you for the call. Which is exactly what I said. Which is exactly... We start to look at each other differently because governments talk about being inclusive, but quite often the politicians are exclusionary. What they do, and they do it regularly, is they will separate, to their political advantage, different groups of people. If you can separate them, you can control their votes better. Am I calling them cynical under the worst possible circumstance? What do you think? Tom is in London, Ontario. Hey, Tom. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, There's an old saying. You reap what you sow. The crop is now coming ready in Europe due to their immigration policies for the last dozen years. Trudeau's now planting the same crop in Canada, and we will get the same result eventually. Am I not right? Well, I, I don't know what you're saying. Are you saying that... I want to understand what people are saying. Are you saying that because... Due, well, go due, ahead. Due to Europe's open immigration policy and letting everybody in whenever they want to come in, and that's what—that's the results they're well, getting. No, they ha- Trudeau is yeah. now doing the same thing in Canada. Europe has standards you must meet in order to be an immigrant. And I know there's the refugee crisis at the moment, and there are people questioning that. People question everything now. And what well, happens you know is, what happens when you question, you become a... Anyway, go ahead. You know what's going on in Sweden, Denmark, Germany. Um, you, you heard about the horrible, um, the horrible atrocities that um, was happening to those those poor people in in France at the last you know they were dismembered and they were uh, tortured you know this this is this is what's coming into Canada if we don't do something soon like I say you reap what you sow well what do you say what, Tom policy D- okay. Tom do, Tom are you saying shut the doors because you're because we're afraid of everyone but but you know Mr Trudeau is letting in all these uh, refugees without properly vetting. He's just doing it. Well, for, but Mr. Trudeau, but Mr. Trudeau says that he is, and and if you question the security screening, then you're called a racist by the premier of the province of Ontario, and her buddy, the premier of the province of Quebec. Whereas, as I've pointed out not so long ago, by statute, by law, the civil rights of Anglophones, a million or so Anglophones in Quebec, are denied every single day by law, and then Quiard has the Go to stand beside Wynne 
and call Canadians who questioned the security screening of Syrian refugees, not the fact that Syrian refugees were coming into Canada, just the screening methodology. He, Quiar, has the gall to stand beside Wynne, who's also making ex- accusations, when he, Quiard, is enforcing laws which deny the civil rights every single day of Anglophone Quebecers. I know, because I was one for nine years until recently. Vincent in Toronto. Hello, Vincent. Hey, how are you? Good, sir. You? I'm great. Uh, I'm just going to make it short and simple. Uh, I have altered plans for my family to go on vacation. Um, I'm not a very paranoid person, but everything that's happening, it, it, it is scary. Um, even, even to the point where if my teenage daughter asks me if she can go to an event downtown, I have to, I have to second thought it because I'm worried about her. And it's like, well, Dad, you're being too paranoid. You're being too paranoid. But like, like a caller some time ago said, if we're going to have a major terrorist attack in Canada, it's going to be in Toronto. And it's pretty bad that they're, they're, the terrorists are winning because, like I said, I'm even paranoid to let my, my daughter go to a major event because it's going to be full of people, and where else, uh, where else will they attack but a big, huge event like, you know, maybe a baseball game or something like that. And, and now uh, the only place I feel safe taking my family on vacation is, is renting a cottage somewhere in the Muskokas. I don't want to take them to a major city. I'd love to take my wife to Paris, France. Would I now? Never. I'd love to take my child to, 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 see, to see the beaches in Florida. That scares me. So, you know, and as far as the government, I don't know what they're doing behind closed doors, but I don't feel very protected by them myself. No, I don't um, either. And what really made me feel bad was when this terrible, terrible thing happened, our prime minister was having fun at the Calgary Stampede. Mr. Trudeau, Mr. Trudeau is in over his head. Mr. Trudeau is in over his head, Vincent. I, I agree. 100%. He's in over his head. Now, doing, like you, what people want to see, my friend, make him look good. My friend, like you, I have concerns about going some places. I would have concerns about taking certain vacations. I would have concerns about going to some events, simply because of what's happened at equivalencies elsewhere. Would I not go? Mm, probably would go. Um, but would I have concerns? Do I have concerns? Yeah, and I think most people, if they're telling you the truth, would voice some level of concern as well. Thank you for the call, Vincent. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. When we come back, Dr. Zudi Jasser, founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, former United States Navy Lieutenant Commander, past president of the Arizona Medical Association, and the author of Battle for the Soul of Islam, an American Muslim Patriot's Fight to Save His Faith. Don't go away. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. I've been talking to Dr. Zudi Jasser for, I think, close to 10 years now on this program. Founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, former United States Navy Lieutenant Commander, past president of the Arizona Medical Association, author of Battle for the Soul of Islam, an American Muslim Patriot's Fight to Save His Faith. Zudi, thank you for coming back on the show. Every time I talk to you, I appreciate it. And we, we have been talking for almost 10 years. Would you please take that period of time and shape some context around that uh, as to where we were 10 years ago, where we are now, as far as the terror threat and reality is concerned, and where we may be headed. Well, thank you, Roy, and uh, I always enjoy more than I can say how much uh, being on your program. And, you know, in the last 10 years, 
there has been a huge transformation. Uh, we looked at the terrorist threat after 9-11 as simply being al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda's mission was basically to get America out of the Middle East. Uh, they wanted to uh, uh, exact punishments upon the Saudis and other Gulf states for their relationship with the West, but they really didn't see uh, a vision of taking over governments or creating states. Then the Arab Awakening happens in 2011. You have revolutions that are nascent revolutions of, of uh, the populations against dictatorship. There was a opportunity there, a hope, if you will. Initially, it was called the Arab Spring. We later settled on calling it the Arab Awakening because there was no spring, and there was a vacuums left there. As the West uh, left those vacuums, we did not really help any nascent uh, uh, movements of secularism or those who want freedom and liberty. We basically allowed those vacuums to be filled by Saudi support, Qatari support, Russian, Iranian influence, etc. And uh, we pulled out of Iraq and Afghanistan, and ultimately we saw the Islamist resurgence uh, uh, in, in Egypt and Tunisia and in Syria through the rebels. The rebellion turned into an Islamist rebellion of many different factions, and it created ISIS. And now you have the most potent terror threat ever in the last two centuries coming from not only a terror organization that's Sunni Islamist of ISIS, but it also has land and territory in Syria and Iraq, and it's fighting a truly evil force versus Al-Qaeda was, you know, trying to market itself as fighting the West, and it was hard to sell that. Uh, ISIS is, is marketing itself as fighting true evil, which it is, which is the genocidal Assad regime. Uh, so we're having, they're able to recruit thousands and thousands more than Al-Qaeda ever was. What's the context of the attack on, on Nice? 84 human lives claimed with total callous indifference. Well, the context is, you know, you look at the Bastille Day. Bastille Day represents the French Revolution, the Days of Freedom. And uh, um, it really is a defining moment of what those who define the, divide the world into the land of Islam and the land of war, Dada Islam and Dada Harb in Arabic, that's the way ISIS, that's the way the militants and the jihadists see this conflict. So what they want to do is create disruption. They see non-Muslims or Muslims who are in the West as bugs, as inhuman, so uh, they mow them over. I mean, we saw uh, in uh, Al-Qaeda magazines, Inspire, or even in Dabak magazine of ISIS, uh, they recommended that uh, if you can't get guns, the best thing is to get uh, a, a large uh, F-150 Ford truck to uh, mow them over. So this is not a new technique. We've seen Hamas use this technique for, for years in Israel, uh, vehicular terrorism uh, through uh, their Islamist uh, goals. So... The bottom line is, is it's a very soft target, but the the symbolism of Bastille Day is very significant. And uh, I think ultimately we're now learning that this guy was radicalized pretty quickly, which is not a surprise since uh, the bottom line is is that these individuals uh, get this virus of supremacism, of uh, radical Islam into them, and we have yet no potent counter-narrative, if you will, against uh, uh, the Islamist resurgence. They're not just going to go away. Uh, ISIS isn't suddenly going to wake up one morning and say, let's do something else, you know, let's just find some other way to, to live our lives. They're not going to go away unless they're forced to go away. Are you seeing anything, and I mean anything, from the political leaders in the West, and I won't call them, and I've said this earlier in the show, I'm not calling them leaders, I'm calling them political leaders. Have you seen anything from political leaders in the West to suggest to you that enough is being done 
to remove ISIS, remove al-Qaeda, remove the terror threat from the daily lives of people in the West? And, you know, the closest was the French. Uh, they were probably doing most of, you know, the most operations uh, over uh, Syria and uh, uh, targeting ISIS. Uh, but, uh, and we're not even close. There's two elements. One is the military element to decimate them on the ground. Um, and uh, we, they are a bit on the retreat, uh, but uh, these guys, uh, you know, will, will need a ground operation with special forces to do it, and we're just, no one has a stomach for that, it seems. And, and secondly, you can't get rid of ISIS without also a transformation in Syria. Uh, Assad has thrived on uh, ISIS's existence, and, and uh, you can't, uh, now I'm even seeing, we're starting to see a cozying up to Russia and, and Assad as some type of solution in the West, which is absurd. Uh, ISIS will never go away. Al-Qaeda used Syria as a base when we were in Iraq uh, five, ten years ago, and uh, ISIS will continue to do the same. And third, you, we won't have any leadership until, until somebody begins to lead the narrative that there, this is a long war, that uh, you can't kill all the jihadists, that the jihadists will continue to whether it's ISIS disappearing and coming up as Jamaat Islamiyya or some other Islamist group, that whack-a-mole will continue until we have a narrative uh, out of the opportunity of the Arab awakening that includes free movements where secular nationalism, which was part of the Sykes-Picot agreement, and we see Turkey, their uh, latest uh, change, I think, is also a transformation of the 20th century paradigm, if you will, the old paradigm coming back of coups to suppress Islamists, versus actual a, a 21st century paradigm of liberty as a narrative in the long term. And unless we start putting Islam in its context of it being where Christianity was when the American and French Revolution happened, I think we're going to continue to circle the drain like we're doing. 30 seconds on the, on the coup attempt in Turkey. You've said the handwriting was on the wall. What do you mean by that? Well... Two weeks ago, you saw Erdogan, who, who can't stand Russia, who can't stand, who's been with the Islamists, uh, whether or not directly with ISIS, but at least with Jibutul Nusra and others. Um, all of a sudden, he was uh, showing warming up to Israel, Russia, etc. I think that's because of the pressure from the military, and he wanted to cozy up to the secularists, and then the Gulenists found that it might be their last opportunity to do a coup, and they did it. So the instability has been well known in Turkey for some time. And uh, it's more of that regional cancer coming from Syria. All right. Zudi, thank you as always for the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime, Ryan. Dr. Zudi Jasser, Battle for the Soul of Islam. An American Muslim patriot's fight for his faith. Battle for his faith is the name of his book. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, Jay Johnson, the Secretary for Homeland Defense in the United States, has said he's concerned about potential violence at the uh, Republican Party's National Convention in Cleveland. There are concerns about potential confrontations. And there's concern about terrorism. And I, uh, I read a story a couple of days ago about some of the delegates to the convention who have real concerns about a potential terrorist attack And so they, being licensed to carry firearms, are going to be taking their guns to Ohio to the convention, which is perfectly legal under Ohio law, an open carry law state. Uh, There is going to be a perimeter around the convention center in Cleveland, where I understand that 
firearms are not going to be allowed. But it's a, it's a very telling development. And uh, I got in touch with Mark Scaringi. He's a, a lawyer in Pennsylvania. He's also the former uh, executive assistant to the attorney general for the state of Pennsylvania. And Mr. Scaringi joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Cornus Radio Network. Mr. Scaringi, thank you for taking the time. And did you ever think you would find yourself at a, a place in life where you felt it was necessary to take a firearm to a political convention? Actually, no, and thank you, Roy, for having me on your show, but uh, you're exactly right. There are a lot of delegates, particularly from Pennsylvania, the ones I've been talking to, who are bringing their firearms. They have license to carry concealed uh, uh, firearms permits here in Pennsylvania. They're taking them to Cleveland because they're uh, so afraid of what awaits us there tomorrow. Is it, is it, is it fear of terrorism or is it fear of, uh, of domestic violence? Well, we have uh, the new Black uh, Panther political party uh, is arriving there today. They have uh, said that they're going to bring their AR-15s. Uh, they're going to open carry in Cleveland. Uh, Black Lives Matters will be there. Uh, there will be other agitators and disruptors. Uh, I fear this will be the most riotous convention we've had in the United States since the Democratic National Convention in 1968. I saw the story, the Reuters story, that the new, new Black Panther Party uh, chairman had said that they would be taking their weapons to Cleveland, and then I saw another story that said he he had said that he never never said that to uh, to Reuters. But uh, regardless of of what he may or may not have said, you're you're broad basing this beyond the Black Panther Party and the new Black Panther Party. Are you afraid of? I mean, are you? I don't use the word afraid. Maybe it's the right word. Maybe not. Are you are you deeply concerned that there could be the kind of violence that would create the dynamic for firearms to be used? I, I am, yes. So we've had the Trump rallies all over the country uh, throughout uh, the, the, the past several months, and innocent Trump supporters going into or out of uh, the, the meeting halls where they've had the Trump rallies have been assaulted punched, uh, kicked, chased down, tackled. Uh, they've been bloodied. Uh, they've been leaving in their cars, and people would surround the cars and, and not let them leave. It, it's, there, there have been near riots uh, at several of the Trump rallies. San Jose, California probably received the most media attention. So we expect that to happen at any Trump rally, but this is the, the rally where he receives the nomination, so I think you can increase that times 10 or 20, and it really ha has heightened everyone's concern. Under what circumstances, Mr. Scaringi, do you think firearms might be used? Because we're talking about the potential for, for dead bodies on the streets of Cleveland. Well, we had uh, the shooter in Dallas uh, just last week, uh, shooting and, and murdering in cold blood innocent uh, police officers uh, at a Black Lives Matter uh, uh, protest. It was supposed to be an innocent and peaceful rally or demonstration, and uh, it quickly uh, got out of control, and innocent uh, 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 American police officers are now dead as a result of that. So it, it, doesn't, take a whole, it doesn't take a whole lot, uh, a few sparks uh, here and there, and uh, we'll have a riot uh, on our hands. The problem uh, with, with carrying your concealed firearm is we're not allowed to carry uh, in the convention center or near the convention center. There's going to be a security zone. So 
it makes it a little bit problematic if you want to carry. You, you really can't carry into and out of the place where you need your firearm for purposes of self-defense. Do you not have confidence in the police and the additional security to provide that kind of, well, safety, safety zone? No, not really. I don't think that um, you know, we can rely upon the, the police to provide uh, the, the level of safety and security that's needed. It, it, there's a big unknown here. Uh, anything can happen. And the, it, it, we want to be able to, to defend ourselves and rely upon ourselves for self-defense. It's just unfortunately that the policy uh, of the, the convention center uh, is that we can't carry in the convention. I mean, you all as delegates are going to the convention to nominate the, um, well, the nominee for the Republican Party. You're not going there for a gunfight. Well, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I never, I never thought I would even be having uh, these thoughts and, and thinking about the necessity to arm oneself uh, in self-defense at a political party gathering. Uh, I'm a delegate elected uh, in the 4th Congressional District here in Pennsylvania. I simply want to go and exercise my, my right to assemble and my right to speech uh, and vote for uh, my nominee for the Republican nomination for the presidency. It's a political gathering. I just want to go and exercise my political rights. Uh, that's all I have in mind, and that's all I want to do. The problem is there will be all kinds of agitators and disruptors, and I, I, I'm assuming... Uh, there will be rioting uh, to some extent going on outside of the convention center, and so that has uh, that has caused uh, many of us to be concerned for our own personal safety. Mr. Scarinti, has there been any logistical planning going on among delegates who were taking firearms to the convention, saying we'll be here in a certain area, we'll all be together, we'll provide whatever safety and whatever cover we may re- be required to to to, uh, to provide, sort of a. I don't know, an auxiliary armed force of some kind. Well, Roy, there has been some communication between and among some of the Republican delegates, uh, gentlemen who I know and, and I'm, I'm friends with, and, and they'll be taking uh, their firearms. Uh, we have, Pennsylvania has uh, a reciprocity with Ohio, so that Ohio will recognize Pennsylvania's license to carry concealed uh, and vice versa. Uh, so there are there are several of the Republican uh, delegates from Pennsylvania who who will be carrying, and uh, the Republican Party of Pennsylvania, our Republican State Committee, uh, they are assuring us that uh, we are we are going to be secure and safe, and they're providing busing and hotel accommodations, and they're doing a great job, and they're giving us all of the assurances. Uh, but, you know, one never knows, and that's why you, you want to be able to exercise your right to defend yourself. And what about the uh, Republican Party nationally? How are they reacting to the fact that some of you will be taking firearms to, to the convention? Well, we, yeah, we see we can't take them into the convention, and uh, that's the, that is the decision by the convention owner. And uh, the Republican National Committee is, is obviously ex- accepting that, uh, that policy decision. But I will tell you that there have been reports that the, the city of Cleveland Police Department uh, is now uh, taking security much more seriously after the shootings in Dallas last week. And apparently there are now even more security precautions being put into place. 
Yeah, I I, I can't imagine. I mean, if if it turns, if it becomes nasty, if the worst case scenario that you've you have concerns about materializes, I can't imagine how the election campaign itself will unfold. It, I mean, this this could be uh, awful. Well, I think I think uh, we've already seen signs of it uh, in the past few months with the riots and the demonstrations uh, and the violence uh, at uh, several Trump rallies, the violence instigated, uh, conducted by the agitators and disruptors who were there protesting uh, and agitating uh, against Trump and the Trump supporters. We've already seen it. I think we're going to see it big time in Cleveland, and I think it's going to go all through the fall. It's a shame. It's sad. Uh, It's not what uh, the American political system should be all about, but it's the unfortunate reality uh, in which we live. Uh, Mr. Scarinji, thank you very much for the uh, the time. I, I hope you uh, you don't have to do anything but, you know, I mean, feel like you you strap on your firearm and that's your right, and uh, and you never have to do anything more than that. But we'll see, I guess. Roy, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for the time. Mark Scarinji. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.